earliest memory of Dirk, it was probably probably a year he was playing with Steve Nash. I kept hearing somebody named Dirt, like with a T. So I was like, why is there a dude named Dirt in the league? And then I, you know, I found out he was actually pretty good. So perform the Star Spangled Banner, Fergie. It's Mike, it's Jake, it's the Four Pointer Episode 7, presented to you by The Athletic. What? I know, right? Pay attention to that part. If you don't hear anything else, if you just like kind of gloss over and fall asleep in the recliner the rest of the episode, The Four Pointer is now brought to you by The Athletic. The whole damn thing, not just The Athletic Dallas, because when you get a prescription, not a prescription, <laughs> subscription, you get all the sites. The and prescription for poor sports writing, <laughs> am I right? You're an idiot. <laughs> I work there, sir. You do. Um, yeah, I mean, we can't be happier to be partnered with The Athletic. They're taking over the uh, the sports landscape in the United States of them Americas. And uh, a lot of my best friends work up there and uh, write good stuff for them on a weekly basis. Uh, Jacob Kemp, if you've heard of him. And then Tim Cato. Uh, the great uh, Tim Cato, who I had beers with last night, and we talked about what's wrong with the Mavericks' offense. And we really got to the bottom of this whole thing. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, no problem. I thought you were on a transcontinental bus or something. I probably was, but the best thing about writing for them is that the people who read it are generally, even if they disagree with you, they disagree with you in a very substantive way that is not the same as whenever you write for a lot of other places. So it actually feels like there's a vibrant community mm -hmm. of people that will present ideas and comment sections, and then you feel like, oh, okay, I hadn't really thought of that. It's an interesting way to look at that. And there's no ads. Nobody hits you with the TLDR? No, there's no. <laughs> there's never ever a yeah, TLDR. There's, there's never that. Um, and it, it really is. I got into the athletic before they got into me. Let's put it that way. Oh wow! I sent the first name. Name me your favorite three albums because then. if you want to follow, particularly like I mean, this obviously it's great for the NBA. But at first, it was a lot of NFL teams that were on the East Coast, and mm -hmm. who do the Cowboys play? So I wanted to find like the best people who wrote about the other teams uh, in the NFC East, and they'd like already hired those people. Yeah. So I'm thinking, all right, I guess I need this. And it's really affordable. So if you're, you know, and Tim's post-game write-ups are as good as anything you're going to find on a one-day turnaround post-game article type thing. If you're, you're used to just nothing but quotes, very little observation, and like box score analysis only, which has just kind of been the way it's done for a long time. No knock on anybody, but 
what Tim does after every game is really, really solid. Yeah, and even what NBA.com does is, you know, it's limited to 400 words or so, and it's just, oh, the Spurs shot well tonight in quotes field goal yeah, percentage. And, and, and it's not like a personal, it's just that's that's No, what that's the style. That's yeah. what people want. That's what, honestly, and, that's what websites want now. I mean, whether team-driven or league-driven, they're like, if it's more than 500 words, like, no, we don't want it. And the athletic's a little bit of a different bird. Um, if you're not familiar with the athletic, what have you been doing, number one, if you're a sports fan? Uh, whenever you want to get uh, red-pilled into sports and take a little bit layered deeper and maybe get that third-tier knowledge base built up for you, then the Athletic, the athletic is for you. Uh, subscription-based publisher, um, smarter sports coverage for diehard fans. It's pretty simple. No ads, no pop-ups, no autoplay videos, none of that nonsense. Just straight, clean, easy-to-read, smart sports coverage. Um, and... If you go to theathletic.com slash four-pointer, and I'm going to say that about 25 times through this episode, just get ready for it. You can get a subscription for as little as $2.99 a month. So 40% off your first year. That is so stinking cheap that I would easily hand that out the window to the lovely person that's at Lover's Lane and 75 every morning. Unnecessary copy point. Go to theathletic.com slash four-pointer, and you will get access to not just Mav stuff, not just Dallas stuff, but national stuff for all of the sports. Uh, there's great NFL film stuff. There's great NBA film stuff. There's great college stuff. I'll hit you with another one. One of my favorite college games of all time uh, was when OU went to Lubbock a few years back with Baker and Patty, and coincidentally, this weekend, the Browns and the Chiefs play, and OU's going back to Lubbock, and Bruce Feldman did an oral history that is phenomenal, of, of one game, but it's worth it's worth reading. I love Bruce Feldman. Yeah, he's very good. Like I said, he was on the sidelines that day doing TV work, so he has a nice perspective on it, but I'm doing something every week. Tim's got something almost every day, uh, particularly after game days, and it's it's good stuff, and um, sometimes he'll write about Rick getting mad at him, <laughs> which kind of happened this week. Yeah, a little bit. Um, up to 650 new stories published every week across all sports. And it's not just the athletic Dallas. I know this is a Dallas Mavericks podcast it's across all platforms, all regions. Uh, if you're a transplant, uh, Steelers fan, this is for you. No matter who you are, this is for you. So subscribe. And be a part of the future of sports journalism, theathletic.com slash four pointer. Interestingly enough, since I was last published there, the Mavericks have not won. Oh, God. <laughs> Which I kind of saw coming. Yeah. You know, I thought they'd. No, you, know, you did not see the Atlanta, Atlanta thing coming. Well, I didn't see it losing to Atlanta, but I mean, they're, the Mavericks are a bad team. And I didn't think they were going to be a playoff team this year. So, I mean, I, I do think they're better than the Suns who beat them. Uh, I think at the end of the year, they'll have more wins than the Suns. I would hope so. Not necessarily because the Suns have no talent. I just think the Mavericks eventually will be a better team yeah. in the long run. And, you know, I would say the same for the Kings. But um, it's it's weird when you talk about, like, better team because at the end of the year, these teams that are uh, trying to get a top three pick, you can't get, like, a accurate judge on them. Because fourth quarter comes around and they're just kind of right. like, ah, I don't know. That's definitely part of what happened with the Suns last year. Mm -hmm. uh, well, the Suns and the Kings. But the difference is I might trade rosters with the Suns, but that's more about the next 10 years. Yeah, They don't have vets like DeAndre and eventually Harrison mm -hmm. and even guys like Powell and Kleba. They don't really even have those guys. Yeah. 
So I mean, you look at you those look at get you wins. How how full that arena is, and you look at ours, and you realize the difference between having good veteran players versus yeah, versus I get uh, it. having promise. Um, but yeah, so this is the Monday episode, um, and it, we're always here on Monday. But I wanted to say that particularly because we're in between games, we're yeah. back to back. We're uh, the few hours between a uh, Utah Jazz coming here and uh, showing us what a real Western Conference contender looks like. And then uh, we travel down to San Antonio on a 45-minute flight last night and get them Spurs tonight, who are having a rough go of it at the beginning of their season, trying to figure out exactly what this team looks like without Kawhi Leonard, without Danny Green, with uh, DeMar DeRozan in the fold and Jacob Pertle starting at center. So we're going to do a little bit of last night breakdown against the Jazz and then a little bit of buildup uh, towards the Suns or Spurs game this evening at 7.30 p.m. on Fox Sports Southwest. And in between, we're going to talk about some of the uh, the stats through the first five games of the season and what it tells us about the team. Does it matter yet? Um, how long until this stat does matter? And then we're going to kind of dive into some of the, like, you know, you know, like we do, the minutia, the things that are driving us crazy, the things that we're liking, the things we need to see more of. And I guess the highlight for you, the listener would be us talking about the plan for Dennis Smith Jr. going forward and how last night might have been the best game I've ever seen him play in a Mavericks uniform, which was super surprising uh, coming off a game when he had to sit out. But 27 points on 19 shots uh, was phenomenal last night. And I think that's the mold that you need to to start using for him. Um, but I guess let's start with the statistics through five games. And if you haven't read Kevin Pelton's article about the Mavericks, and why they may be a little bit better than their record or their overall offensive rating or defensive rating might indicate, please check that out. That was the ESPN Insider exclusive. But it basically says what we've been saying <laughs> through the first two weeks of the season, which is the Mavs are missing easy shots, which is driving us insane, or wide-open shots, or shots that would be uh, graded as a positive look. They're missing those. And their opponents as you might judge by, you know, plus 50% from three-point allowed, are knocking down their difficult shots and how that's probably going to balance out and how throughout history it has. And the teams that are, you know, more skewed down the curve, uh, further down the list, they correct harder. Um, So before we jump into, I guess, offensive rating, defensive rating, pace, all that kind of stuff, I wanted to tell you where the Mavs are right now in that stat, which is quantitative, before I mess it up for the, 100th time Quanti- quantified shot quality is what we're talking about and I brought it up a couple times after I got a fancy uh, second spectrum membership from the fine people over there I can't stop talking about it because it's fascinating to me it's for somebody to go through every single shot and tell you whether that's a good look or a bad look yeah it's basically just every shot that's been taken and how often it's hit from that position for league average mm-hmm. and then you know, have like so. If you take, uh, let's say the corner three is a thirty-seven percent chance, and you hit that at a forty-two percent clip, and that were like the only shot you took, you would just be a plus five. Yeah, if Bruce Bowen shot forty-seven percent from the corner three. Then he's you know a plus plus ten or whatever. This is uh, it's similar to expected points added in the in the NFL, but the difference is the NFL you play. You know, really only the yard line is figured in. It's not figured based on where the ball is on the hash or where the play ends up, but it's just every single shot, how likely is it to go in? If you hit more of them, you're positive. If you hit less of them, you're negative. And it's 
a pretty simple concept. It just has like really ex- uh, it's difficult to pull off. Number one. It, well, the data the NBA has, I don't. I think they're way ahead of the curve on uh, on being able to plot the entire court out. But I'm a, my point is just it sounds really complicated, but it's not. Yeah, yeah. It's it's shot quality. Just think of it that way. It's just with shot a number quality. Of yeah, with a number applied to it. Um, so I want to read this one a little blurb from the Pelton article and then kind of tell you where the Mavs sit after five games because they did this after four after the Toronto game um, and tell you where San Antonio sits right now. But here you go. Okay, this is Pelton. Uh, During that span, shot making, so QSI, explains about three quarters of a team's performance in terms of effective field goal percentage during the first five games of the season. However, looking forward to the rest of the season, shot quality has about four times more predictive power than shot making. So if you keep repeating the process of getting good looks, that's way more predictive than actually knocking down the good looks. So it's going to correct itself. So the Mavs, whenever he wrote this, were third um, in QSI at 54.1%. And they're still third. They're 53.9, so a little bit dropped a little bit down after the Utah game last night. But they're a negative 6.4 in terms of... uh, the differential between quantified shooter they're... impact, yeah. Right. So, which is like, did you make the shot or not? Um, and that's one of the most stark contrasts in the league for a team that gets good looks. San Antonio. I just wanted to look this up to humor myself for tonight's game. Thirtieth in shot quality, <laughs> they are taking bad looks, and you might think that uh, uh, kind of naturally because they're a mid-range team. That's just how San Antonio operates. They cut down the turnovers by shooting mid-rangers and. LaMarcus Aldridge is one of the greatest mid-range shooters of all time. When Kawhi was there, he did the same thing. And DeRozan kind of fits that mold as well. Uh, But they're 30th. So if you are a diehard, live-by-the-sword, die-by-the-sword, quantitative shot quality uh, stand, then you think San Antonio is going to suck. But they outperform their shot quality uh, from mid-range pretty consistently because LaMarcus Aldridge is a freak and DeMar DeRozan's a freak, and their team's kind of built on that. So... Uh, they don't really fit that mold, but I thought it was interesting they were 30th. And then I wanted to look up uh, Q, <laughs> QSQ, quantified shot quality. There's two different things I keep getting confused, which is quantified shot quality and then uh, quantified shooter impact. So quantified shot quality is the quality of the look. And I wanted to look after X number of passes for the Mavs. Because Rick, that's his big thing this year, right? Sure. He wants the ball to fly around. He doesn't want you dribbling it. Um, if you have more than three pounds of the rock on the uh, on the pavement, then he's upset with you. Uh, let the thing fly around. And they've jumped up to fourth in passes per game. Yeah, they're they're moving it. I don't know if that's the answer. Not to uh, fly in the face of world champion Rick Carlisle, but judging by these numbers. So after they, and they've had 125 possessions of one pass. Basically, bring the ball up, boom, shot goes up, which is you would assume is early offense or some level of transition. Uh, so the quantified shot quality, so the how good the look was was 51.6, which isn't great. Their overall is 53.9. We brought that up a second ago. 51, 51.6, not great. Two passes had 130 possessions of such. Uh, 130 chances of such possessions, 54.8. And then if you go three passes, 52.8. Four passes, 53.7. 
Five passes, 52-9. Six passes, it starts falling off. I don't know why they get bored. <laughs> they just kind of get bored after five passes, and they're just like, ah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, but, there's a sweet spot. I think what you might see there is that you've worked yourself into a late clock situation where now somebody is mm-hmm. having to try to take somebody one-on-one who is who knows they have to be the shooter. Yeah, but what interested me is two passes is the sweet spot for them. And for, okay, in, in, a, in a player's mind, Whenever you're bringing the ball across the timeline and, okay, this possession is beginning. The raw idea of move the ball a lot, but also initiate quick, fast offense and get early looks doesn't necessarily compute. Yeah, well, it's not to me. It's not so much that you're passing more; it's that you're dribbling less. Yes, and they still have players on their team who seem hell bent on not playing that way. Yeah, and maybe it's just a it's tough to treat uh, teach old dog new tricks. But mm-hmm. it, I know that he's put up some decent numbers, but through six games, Wes flat out does not fit what they're trying to do, and theoretically he should. Because he can hit open threes and he can hit from the corner, but like him coming off of a curl around DeAndre and catching the ball and having nowhere to go mm-hmm. and then taking a, a a shot from the elbow or elbow extended, it's just not it's not a good look. And it's especially bad when he dribbles seven to eight times beforehand. And I know we're beating a dead horse here, but I almost wish that there was a way to get data on not only times when Wes is just not even on the floor, but on possessions that don't necessarily involve him in the action. Because <laughs> I bet even those, like, there would be a huge discrepancy on plays that involve him and plays that don't. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't know, man. I, I don't, I'm so tired of it uh, because you can see flashes of what they're trying to do whenever he doesn't stop the ball. And also, I mean, he's hitting at an okay rate right now. He's shooting like 36% from three. It's He's not been bad, but he just still takes too many two-point shots. And I feel like he could be hitting 39 or 40% of his threes if he didn't take two terrible ones every game. Yeah. No, you're not You're not wrong there. And my overall like feeling from just watching how the offense operates and where the passes go and where the, the focus of the ball movement is is that you need to cut down the time spent 20 to 30 feet away from the basket that DeAndre Jordan's holding the basketball and that Wes Matthews is holding the basketball. And DeAndre played out of his mind last night in terms of assists. Um, I mean, 19 rebounds, 9 assists has never been done by a Dallas Maverick. That's crazy. But also, it almost turns into that Zaza Pachulia possession that we saw two or three years ago where he's just the bail, he's the bailout. He's the re- release valve. When he's having to run up 20, 25 feet away from the basket and catch the ball from somebody, that means the initial action has stalled and the player is not comfortable with how the floor is spaced anymore. And it's just, it. it's almost as if you could just set the ball on the ground, count for four seconds, get the ball back to somebody else with four fewer seconds on the shot clock, which is never a trade you would make. It'd be like trading. It'd be like starting on second down in the NFL. It's not something I want to do. And Wes has been doing the same thing. There's too many situations that they put Wes, and I know he's the most veteran guy on the team, and so is DeAndre. So you want to get that guy the ball. You want to keep them involved. You want to, and they're arguably your two best defensive players right now, which is 
Not saying a ton because our defense hasn't been good. But you want to get those guys involved. You want those guys to be engaged. You want them to care. You want them to be, you know, locked into a game and the flow of a game. But the future of the Mavericks offense and even the best version of the Mavericks offense doesn't involve point Wes. Well, I'm, I have a lot less of an issue with the high post initiation from DeAndre into some sort of a back cut than I do Wes Matthews dribbling. I don't, I don't want to live off of DeAndre, the facilitator, but so far I've been pretty impressed. Yeah. And it does take him away from the basket a little bit, but they have some speed around him and he's been a pretty adept at finding guys that that hasn't really bothered me yet. Not anywhere near on the level. And I know it's a pipe dream, but I keep saying you might try to play Finney Smith and Barnes in the starting lineup instead of Wes. But if they're not upset about Wes's shot attempt numbers, which is a simplistic stat, and I know Rick was annoyed when Tim asked him about it, but it does tell, it is a descriptive metric. Yeah. It's telling you that he's still shooting way more than everyone else, despite seemingly having, like, I bet if you could remove him from the sample, they would move from currently having the, whatever it was, third best. Mm-hmm. And they would be first in qu- yeah in shot quality yeah yeah and if you and also if you removed him they would probably have a uh, you know a smaller differential between what they've created and what they've made so it's a work in progress it's frustrating it's it's pretty gummed up right now like there's no way to to hide it because Barnes coming back he spent so long over the last two years figuring out how to be an ISO player how to create his own looks, and they don't really need him to do that anymore, except for maybe, you know, the final five minutes of the Atlanta game. I was like, we could really use Harrison Barnes right now to get a good look because everybody else is just launching from 30 feet or not getting good looks. It just wasn't winning basketball for the final five minutes of the Atlanta game. Um, And, you know, they should (laughs) have. DeAndre dunks that ball on that Luka lob, and the whole thing's different. Yeah. But... It's really gummed up because everyone and it's and it's gummed up in a in a role kind of way where I don't think anybody I think Rick and the coaches and the analytics guys have been very clear on what they role want the roles to be. But I don't know if these guys are good at it yet. You know what I mean? Like you can be put in a position to be the office administrator and everyone tell you to be the office administrator. It's not gonna matter. <laughs> You're not gonna be great at it right now. And I felt like last night was Rick kind of forcing the bonding between that starting unit because he played them 34 minutes together. Well, and really, I have uh, I have some issues with the way the lineups have been handled. Um, which which part? Well, you can't leave the you can't leave most or all of your starters in the game in the third quarter until a minute left. Mm-hmm. Because as good as their bench has been, I don't. And I don't really love playing five bench players at once. Yeah, that's the the hockey substitution thing has never been a line change. Yeah. We had talked at the beginning of the year about what would it look like, how much time would there be where uh, both Luca and, and Junior were off the floor. Mm-hmm. Well, in the 240 minutes that Smith Jr. has played, because he obviously missed a game, they've mm-hmm. played 133 minutes together. Like, that's barely over 50%. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it needs to be all the time. I would hope it could be all the time, but I realize that's not tenable because they're both starters, so there's going to be times. But that's not great to me. 
Like yeah. I would prefer. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I just I. It seems to me that having Brunson, Finney Smith, Berea on the floor together, they're basically being saved by the by Kleba and Powell right now. Yes, Kleba and Powell have been playing so well that, I mean, the bench has always been a strength for them, and I feel like we've reached the extent of, uh. <laughs> JJ went nuclear for about three or four games. I mean, what is it? Three games of nine plus assists in that in that stretch. That's um, always going to happen. But he can also. But I mean, that efficient. I don't think I've ever. Shot. Yeah, he does fall in love with his shot. He takes really, really tough looks around the basket. Which, when they're hitting, you don't question them at all. But whenever they're not falling, I'm like, man, you got to find a better look than that. And right now, they're not following it, falling in the slightest bit. He can't buy a bucket around the rim, and you know it'll it'll correct itself. It'll it'll course correct, but uh, it's tough. The bench unit unit is really, really fighting against the tide whenever JJ's not knocking down his shot. And credit to Powell and Kleba because they've been so stinking good. Like Dwight Powell was before the last two games, so I guess the uh, first three. Dude, I was like, this guy's gonna be six man of the year. He's playing that stinking well, and that's still in him. I think he can still get close to that level. I don't, you know, I don't think he's gonna be the best bench player in basketball because, you know, it'd just be a silly thing to say. But he was playing so well, and then I feel like teams started realizing it. Like Atlanta did a really good job of scheming against our bench, as weird as it sounds. That was something that they clearly had written on their dry erase board the game before. They were like, if if you let JJ Bray and Dwight Powell kick your ass up and down this court for their 15 minutes together. You know what? We're running for an hour after this thing. <laughs> that's just how this is going to work. And teams, that's it's become the main focus from other teams because our starting unit is in flux constantly right now. Um, it's trying to stabilize. The 34 minutes last night they played together is evidence to me that Rick's like, okay, let's get let's get it normal. Let's yeah. hey, whatever you whatever this is, I need to figure out what this starting unit is like right now, like within the next week. I need to know what we need from it. I need to know what we're good at. I need a sample size so I can correct whatever's wrong with it. Because they're not scoring well in the first quarter. And for, you know, their issue um, through the first, you know, the the pre-Barnes games was they could score, but they couldn't stop anybody. Now the defense is kind of normalized and the, the offense can't score again. So it's, people didn't really have to focus on the the first unit they didn't have the game plan for it because we were challenging ourselves enough. Yeah. There was a lid on the basket. So they could go, you know what's going to save them when they're down 10 in the first quarter and there's five minutes left? It's Dwight Powell and J.J. Bray and Maxi Kleber playing out of his mind. Let's stop that. That's the real heart of the thing. That's the Achilles heel of this team. If you stop those dudes from making a run whenever they walk on the court, then, you know, then they're short-circuited. I might argue, though, that because Powell and Kleba have been as good as they have been, that you could bring on Powell for Luca, or excuse me, Kleba for Luca, or really either one of them, probably Kleba, earlier. Yeah. And you could insert Luca back into the game earlier. Or mm-hmm. if you wanted to go with, let's bring JJ in earlier mm-hmm. for Dennis. And I trust those three bench players, even though, you know, JJ has his moments where. Is frustrating. I trust those three guys and their pos- their positional versatility, being guys that can kind of be either the one or two or a four or five. They cannot have all five of those guys out there at once, 
even if it's the best part of their team. Because I still think I would prefer I mean, their net rating is insane. Mm-hmm. Um the uh well, I guess the one that has like the crazy numbers is well, you know what, never mind. The samples are just too small. <laughs> they really are. I mean, the the starting lineup has a pretty terrible The one that's nuts right now is Berea Powell, Kleber, Brunson, Luca. Yeah. The plus thirty five. Yeah. But it's only like it's ten, 10 minutes, minutes, but yeah. so, you know. Uh I think that it just is it's weird to me whenever you have so much versatility and so many different guys who can do different things and but it's, but it's play all, different it's all, positions. It's all bigs though. You know what I mean? Like it, I don't feel like they're wings. It is, deep. but Luca, I think, unlocks that a little bit to where you can move him to being a guard. That's where you, you gotta figure that out. Yeah. Like there's times where you can't he allow he should make it to where you don't have to line change. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And the na- the natural mode is to go okay JJ's out there JJ's flying everything you know right. what I mean but I think it needs to be JJ brings the ball up once Luca brings the ball up the next time and J- Luca works that Pal Kleba mismatch that you can create because those two dudes are fast they're quick they're strong and they're they're very good offensively at this point and all this being said the point of what you brought up about the shot quality and the actual amount of shots they've hit. The differential between what they are creating and what they're hitting is the third worst in the league. Mm-hmm. Was it third? Uh, or I was think it fourth? So. Let me look. I can figure it out in two seconds. Uh, they're 23rd. Excuse me. So they're 23rd in the differential between what they're creating and what they're hitting on offense. They're third worst in what they're forcing and what they're giving up on defense. Mm-hmm. So even if you don't really believe that these numbers tell the whole story, if you just come back to like slightly below average on both, yeah then you're in a decent spot. So I'm not really worried about it right now. They're passing more. They dribble less. They're playing faster. Uh, they don't switch. They stay below a lot of switches. Like I'd almost rather them stop trying because mm-hmm. when they do try, it doesn't look right. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not displeased with their offense because – I'm I knew not, it was going to take time. I just was worried that they weren't even going to really try, but it's pretty mm-hmm. clear that when you've got Luca on the floor – there is no, we're going to try to go faster or we're going to try to play different. He's playing different. Yeah, yeah. He's, he does, he kind of does his own thing. Like, I don't know how else to put it. Um, I mean, he's going to use a pick and roll and get to that step back if someone's going to let him have it, which is not a design play. <laughs> it's not a half-court play that they draw up. Um, and then, you know, he's going to try and throw some lobs to Dennis Smith that aren't there, uh, that Utah has clearly schemed out and maybe – Nearly get Dennis killed a couple times, but he's gonna. I mean, he he plays one way, um, and it's it's his brand of basketball, and it fits into almost every scheme you can possibly think of. But uh, yeah, it's I I I don't think I love I I like where the offense is going. I think they're doing the right things. I think like you're making the right the right like pitch selections. Like you're making the right. The, this is how you need to play. You need to shoot almost 43s a game. You need to move the ball. You need to, you know, Luca handle it or Dennis handle it and, um, you know, all, all those types of things. But it's, I watch their natural half-court sets, and this is just the, the first unit I'm talking about. I don't feel like they're running plays, like, as the play is drawn up almost. Okay, I do agree with that. <laughs> 
But what I want to stop right here is I am uh, not going to get into the cover a basketball team with a 20-year-old and a 19-year-old like they're an NFL team. Right. There are going to be times when Dennis looks pissed off. Oh, and there yeah. are going to be times where he looks – I mean, he might have been hurt the other night uh, in the Toronto game. I don't know. I mean, he didn't play in the next game. There was a there's a clip going around where you can very clearly see Carlisle yell, what's the matter at him, mm-hmm. uh, after they didn't score for like four and a half points. And there is a possession right before that happened where Rick yells, what's the matter, where Dennis is standing there waving his arms around and does not get the ball. Mm-hmm. So he's going to be pissed off. And there are going to be times where they're frustrated because they're trying to rebuild an NBA team. But to like jump into this world that I already see some people doing of like, oh God, is there is it is there turmoil? Could do Candidates and Luca ever work it's together? Take time. Like we probably won't even know at the end of this year yeah. how this is going to look long term. So well, there, it's that relationship weird. is so more complex than a young point guard and a young big. You know what I mean? It's such a very, very complex relationship that they have to build. And 20-year-old point guards aren't good in terms of winning. 19-year-old ball handlers aren't good in terms of winning. Like, they don't contribute to winning at age 19, 20. It just doesn't happen. They're like two guys in the history of the league that ever have. And with Dennis, I know what his issue is. And I know why he looks super pissed off sometimes. He doesn't get calls. He He does not get calls. He doesn't get a call. Like, watch an entire game, watch people whack him upside the head when he goes into the lane, and I'd get pissed off too. (laughs) Like, honestly, that dude gets beaten up when he goes at the basket, and sometimes he does make the suboptimal decision and kind of jump into a guy and get challenged where he didn't need to be challenged, but... Dude, he does not get one stinking call. He's being fouled on 2.6% of his shot attempts, which is the bottom 10% of the league. That's insane for a guy that drives as much as he does. It really is. And Part of it's on him, but yeah. even if part of it is just on you know on him and on the rest is officiating, he should still be closer to right. oh, what he was last year, which was dead even at about 7. And that's for players of his position, by the way. But yeah, it's... Just and think, he's in a frustrating spot, man. But I just yeah. don't want everybody to like overanalyze it and bail on the guy four games into what's basically the first season of his career in my mind. Yeah. Because his career is going to be determined, at least initially, on how this process with these mm-hmm. types of players works out. Yeah. And just think of the mental of it. If you go at the rack ten times a game and you don't get one call and you're getting your shot blocked two or three times – and you're only shooting 40% on these drives, and you walk over to the sideline, and the big fella's going, hey, keep doing that. Keep going in there and getting killed. Like, eventually, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work out for you in year three or four. Maybe not even this season. Maybe not this calendar year. Maybe not the next two years. But you need to be able to have that in your bag because whenever you start, do, uh, whenever you start getting calls, like, that takes you to the next level. And he doesn't get one single call. And for him, last night was probably my favorite game that he's played. And I was happy I was, for him for sure. I was I was curious to see how it would work out because Rick talked a lot in the pregame about okay, Dennis is playing, and Skin has the very uh, easy question that I think everyone was thinking. Skin just goes, "What's his role in the offense?" Because I'm not sure if he knows right now. Yeah. 
And Rick basically explained, you know, uh, he's got to bring the ball up fast. He's got to get across half court fast. He's got to stop. Basically what Rick was saying is he's got to stop point guarding. He's got to start playing like Dennis Smith, which is downhill, which is trying to run through somebody's face on the way to the basket. And there were a couple instances last night where he brought the ball up quick. He got a simple two-on-two with he and DeAndre. I mean, DeAndre assisted on, I think, four of his baskets, which is incredible. And he just got an uneven, uh, unbalanced court, and it's him and DeAndre on the left side. It's one pick. If you think guys can't guard each other one-on-one in the league, think about whenever it's Dennis and DeAndre on a two-on-two on an unbalanced court, and it's just them on the left side. Like, the early offense for Dennis, and I know he wants to drop dimes and he wants to make the good pass and use the pick and roll and prod and all that stuff. That's not you, man. I mean, I think it's okay with it being a part of his game that he can, that he can help as like a, a sec on secondary actions and as things fall apart for the offense, like it's nice to be able to pass. I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying, uh, don't go full Kyrie. Yeah. Or, or even like, you know, I don't need to try to turn it to like AI or something, but <laughs> yeah. Um, no, dude. I, I and, you know, the other thing is, is he's he's also struggling defensively. Yeah. Uh, Donovan Mitchell. Well, you know, really the one that jumped out to me, and I don't even know if it X turned. Him. Uh, yeah, but then the, the other night, Trey Young got by him like every time he went. Oh yeah. Every time, and a couple. One of them might have resulted in a win dunk, and the rest of them were, you know, it didn't end up turning into anything open. But mm-hmm. he has trouble staying in front of people. Yeah, I mean, he's just got to get his. He's got to have like hard and fast rules for everything right now. And if it, if you bring the ball up and there's 20 seconds left in the shot clock and you see an unbalanced court, unbalanced uh you know, half court, go for it. Just have at it, man. Play downhill. And if you don't give the ball up, run around, get open, play off cuts cuz he's excellent whenever he's coming off a screen, coming off a cut. But whenever he's like, you know, literally trying to be this, you know, galaxy brain point guard, it slows him down, man. It gums him up. And Rick showed him like some footage before the game last night of, do you see what happens when you play fast? He showed him like 50 examples of, okay, look at the shot clock. Look when you brought it across half court. Look what happened. Dude, he can be an early offense just nightmare for other teams. And I think it'll get there. You've yeah. seen enough flashes to where you know it'll get there. Yeah, he just it's got to be it's got to be quicker. It's got to go. And it's that simple for him this year. I think really where his passing is as big as in transition. Yeah. Like uh I think there was I can't remember. I watched all three games like kind of at the same time. <laughs> they all blend together. Uh but yeah, he hit Luca on the break. Mhm. Uh for like and it was right before whoever they were playing called the timeout. Like, and it was a really nice pass. Like he, it was a really nice catch too, from Luca. Um, they're scoring a lot of transition points. I mean, for a team that was like dead last in that last year, uh, they're scoring a lot of transition points. The problem is they are also giving up a ton. And if you want to talk like just briefly about the defense and what is DeAndre worth, mm-hmm. they've actually been better, I think, in in guarding pick and rolls. I mean, just. They really had nowhere to go but up. Yeah. Whenever you're not even playing a center like mm-hmm. last year, but they are still getting, they give up a lot of points in transition, a lot of points at fast break. So do the Spurs. But yeah. 
They they honestly don't give up that many points in the paint whenever you look at the stat total, but every time someone gets in there, they score. Yeah. And I, I kind of understand it. I, it's it's a lot of it is, uh, okay, if your man just beats you on you know something basic, DeAndre's not going to come over there and challenge this shot and get his third foul. Like that's he's 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 already ran that math in his head, and he's not into that. Because I've seen I don't know ten fifteen occasions where, you know Dante Exum crosses somebody over and he's got a first step on him and here comes the second step and third step he's in the lane and I'm like, where's my center? And that's just not how DeAndre wants to play it. Like he'd rather give up the two, and the layup and let's get him the other end than. I'm going to come across here. I'm going to body this guy. Maybe he makes his layup. Maybe I block it, but I'm going to pick up my third foul right now. And I think DeAndre knows how Rick wants to run a defense and the right plays that need to be made and the right rotations that need to be made and who's supposed to cut this guy off. We're just not a good enough team defensive team uh, as a five-man unit. Not enough, not enough good team defenders to run that defense right now. And DeAndre gets frustrated, and I understand. Like, if you're a big man and all you are asked to do the entire game is just fix crap. And he does a lot offensively, too. It's not like Tyson Chandler who would get eight points a game for from just putbacks and then have, like, one possession a game where he touches the ball other than that. He's asked to do things on both ends of the court, and I feel like he gets frustrated. And, uh, you know, it's... Lineup volatility, it's, um, we're just not that good of a defensive team overall. Like, your optimum output on defense just isn't very high at this point. No, it's not. But it is encouraging, as you said, that their shot quality yielded is pretty low. Mm -hmm. And I think getting killed from three is the way that is the most frustrating, but it's also the way that is the least predictive. In the sense that, well, I don't know. I guess I would just figure like if you're just if you're if you were forcing a ton of mid range shots and none of, and all of those were falling, I don't think that would be very predictive either. Mm-hmm. But I would also prefer like if you were giving up the most amount of uh, of shots at the rim, I think that is a lot more telling than if you're giving up just an insane percentage from three. Like they're not giving up. I don't believe like the the highest number of threes or anything. I think they're about average. No, they're pretty they're pretty normal. Yeah, it's just that they're falling at a tremendous rate. That to me is less sustainable than uh getting just absolutely killed at the rim. Flip side of that is I'm not exactly sure who I look to on this team to stop that or uh, to stem the tide. I'm basically just looking at the clouds and saying <laughs> probably <laughs> this might work. Probably so. It's going to rain at some point. Seems as if there will be rain. It's for sure going to rain, bro. Uh, Let's see. All threes frequency, they are 11th. Yeah. At uh, giving up 32% of their shots or threes. Now, if you'd like to look at all threes as far as percentages yielded, Mm -hmm. that would be dead last by a considerable five percentage points. Yeah, I mean, always I think the, the natural fallback for a guy that considers himself any kind of defender is you know what I'm going to give you a three that you're open two or three feet from rather than you know what you just made me look like a clown and you're dunking so that's just a kind of a natural fallback like I'd much rather let you shoot from 27 feet out than let you get my goat and just okay there you go right down the lane but it's got it's 
gotta correct <laughs> like this three point percentage. It just has to, man. Like, yeah, well, even if it goes from forty eight to forty three, would that would yes. still be very bad, and it would be close to the bottom of the league, but it would also save you a couple points a game. Yes, and then maybe generate some. That's it you know, I, for you on the other end. They haven't. I mean, they haven't been like stopping the three point shot or like contesting them e- extremely well, or you know anything. I haven't watched a game and go, man. They really defended the three-point line well last yeah. night, like I watched Utah last night do, where I was like, Utah is chasing people off and making them take contested threes, which is just insane. I've never wa- I haven't watched a game and just felt like, oh, they're just rallying everywhere and chasing people off the line. But even the best three-point shooters on somewhat open looks, which is like, what, two to four feet or whatever, two to six feet, it's going to be like 42%. It is not going to be 50%. So that falls back to the, you know, quantitative shot quality and all that kind of stuff. And But it's it's got to course correct at some point. Well, I'll tell you, here's one thing that is is promising. And that is that, and I don't know, maybe this it's one game. Um, but the starters last night gave up 31.6% from three. Mm-hmm. Uh, six of 19. That is your DeAndre... West Barnes, DSJ, uh, Doncic. So that is your saving grace. Is that it, in thirty six minutes or thirty four minutes together, mm-hmm. roughly thirty four minutes together, they went. They gave up six of nineteen. Again, it's one game, but if you go over to like uh, the lineup that they had been playing, which was just all of those guys without without Barnes, Barnes but yeah. plus Finney Smith, it was fifty three percent. If you want to take it a step further and look at your, um, you know, Berea. Powell, Finney Smith, Clayba Brunson. Yeah, they're giving up a nice uh, 84%. And it's not in like a huge sample size. You know, it's probably like something like, you know, 10 of 12 or something. Mm-hmm. But it's it shows up if you play smaller players. And bench units have three-point shooters. So the starters just cannot and probably will not uh, long-term give up that high of a percentage of threes. I do think the one thing that's not going to change is I do think they're always going to give up a lot of points in transition. Yeah, I could see that. Part of it is that they take a ton of threes. Mm -hmm. Long rebounds. Yeah, that's part of it. And then the other part is that they do, they just have guys who get mixed up. (laughs) I mean, there's no other way to say it. I mean, Luka gets mixed up. Junior Mm -hmm. gets mixed up. Uh you know, I'm not sure that Wes is quick enough to get back on his man a lot of the time. So I would say that I think the three-point shooting percentage yielded will come down considerably. I think transition is always going to be a problem on defense. On offense, I think that they'll end up probably juniors uh, shooting percentage on the year will be fine. I'm not freaked out about it yet. And overall, I, I bet you right now they end up being a top 10 offense. Yeah. And that's I could buy by the, that by by you give me another seventy six games or whatever, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say that this thing, if it continu- continues on the trajectory it's on, will be top ten offense. Yeah, and it, they will absolutely be bottom ten defense. <laughs> it's it's really difficult to judge. Like, okay, number one, the lineups have been constantly just kind of a a jenga, um, and so the first time you actually get your starting lineup back in order, Harrison Barnes is clearly just rusty as hell. 
Yeah. Um, and then you're playing Utah. I worry about his role too. By the way, that's that's if you want to spend a, real, a second on that, that's a real concern. Because just like with Wes, it seems like ideally it should work to me, but he because I saw it work, albeit on a supernova, <laughs> right? But I wonder if you spend two years being like the I'm gonna bully ball somebody, and that's my game, and that's how I get to 19 a night, and you know, when the shot clock is off, that's I don't know if. He's. We all think the guy's. He's a great guy, and I'm sure he is. But it does take buy-in. That's what we're talking about with a lot of this stuff. And is is he going to be okay becoming like a, a cutter mm-hmm. and a you know a guy who largely is a safety valve? Yeah. I mean, you're you're approaching the point of the offense where there's not enough possessions to do what everybody thinks they should be doing. A hundred percent. And that's why Wes's shooting totals are unacceptable. Yeah. And, and, the, and the greediest ones are, are standing out. Like, if you're just like, ah, damn, I'm going to do me no matter what, then that's going to stand out at this point. Yeah. Because, honestly, there, there's, not, there's not 20 points. 20, there's not 19 shots for Dennis. There's not 19 shots for Luca. There's not 19 shots for Barnes and 19 for Wes and 10 for DeAndre. It doesn't work like that, right? It, there's just not that many possessions. So you got to find where it works and it should be the obvious of if you have a good look or a mismatch, but that's the point they're not getting to yet of, I know where the ball needs to be in this set and I know what this play is and I know where the mismatch is and just go pick at it. They're not doing that yet. And, and if it you pick at it and it doesn't work, quit picking. Yes. <laughs> And the the first team offense has just not been very good. And I don't know if it's a uh, – and maybe it's me just watching the game, just having some kind of anxiety that the shot clock is chasing them like a fire <laughs> because it feels like that at this point where I'm like, if if it's under 10 seconds left in the shot clock and the ball ends up in Wesley's hands, I know what's happening. That's fait accompli. I know exactly – What's about to happen? So I don't want that to happen. I don't want to get to that point. It's ridiculous that with 10 seconds left, if Wes is isolated on the wing and the ball finds him, that the sequence is already done. Yeah, that's unfortunate. But so I start freaking out at about 15 seconds. I'm like, we better start some early offense right now. And that means, Dennis, you running this play and setting a good screen right here, not just running back to the basketball. And they know it too. That's the thing. You know, I mean, they played more. <laughs> as much as we watch these guys together, they play together 10 times more than that. Right. So they know the feeling. And it's just Luca doesn't run off a screen fully, and then Dennis doesn't really use his screen correctly or doesn't set a good one because they're both just trying to get back to the basketball to keep it from finding DeAndre with 10 seconds left or Wes with 10 seconds left, and then it's the possession's gone. Well, They just don't have the maturity right now to, like, value every stinking possession and they they shouldn't but it's it's just frustrating to watch sometimes they they don't and then the other thing is they don't have a lot of off of dribble jump shooters to make it to where it's Mm -hmm. like they just they don't yeah uh they're very low in points created off of the dribble off jump shots off the dribble they're about middle of the road in the amount of time they do that but for example like the warriors the trailblazers the uh, hell, even teams like uh, the Celtics, like those teams have enough guys that can, if they have to, can pull up. 
mm-hmm. and the Mavericks just don't. So that's the thing is that they're allowing themselves to get to points of the offense where they need a guy who can bail you out, and they don't have anybody to bail you out. Yeah, they don't have James Harden. They don't have you know Oladipo. They don't have you know McCollum, L- right. Lillard, Russ, Kimba Paul George. Do that. Yeah, you know, Kimba. but they they don't have yeah. that. So yeah, and it's all just it. Th- these are just natural growing pains to me of playing with two players that are younger than twenty one years old as your primary ball handlers who get more touches than anybody else on the team. Um, but I pick at it because. I know whenever they correct that, it's such a hard thing to get over. Yeah. It's such a lesson that takes like five years to learn of valuing every possession and finding where the ball needs to be in this offensive set instead of racing back to the whoever has it just to get it back because you trust you more. Like, I know how difficult that is to learn. Well, I think they'll get there, man. I think I really so for do. sure. I uh, I think that I'm very encouraged by the at least like some of the vital signs of the offense, less mm. by some of the results. And, and the defense we, was just kind of what I thought it was going to be. That's why I'm not yeah. I'm not upset about it. I just I think that the there's not a whole lot of you know there's yeah. not a whole lot of guys who I think have a ton of defensive upside here. So yeah, and we said this all last year for the people that were still locked in last year with this team through what we went through. Um, we all kind of have to train ourselves how to watch a 19 and 20 year old ball handler. Cause we just haven't done it. We don't know what that looks like. And yeah, the veteran guys that have been here over the years, like aren't that exciting. Like, you know, Darren Williams and fill in your blank, Mike James and Darren Collison before that. And, you know, not super exciting guys that you just love the future of, and they don't sell tickets and you don't put them on billboards, but they're veteran dudes that don't waste motion and don't waste possessions and training ourselves to watch what a 20 year old, um, you know, elite player in the league looks like is kind of difficult. It, it is frustrating to the eye at points, but it's all for two years down the road, three years down the road. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, we were talking about earlier. Did you have, would you rather Dennis and Luca play more minutes together or would you have rather have them like daisy chained across a game where there's never a moment where one of them is not on the court? Uh, you're not going to be able to do never. Um, but I think that the best chance to win would be more the latter. Now, maybe you need them to play together as much as possible for development purposes, but I do think that costs you as mm-hmm. far as winning games. Yeah. Because I, I think both of them have an ability to get to the heart of a defense that no one else really does. JJ at times, yes. But I still think that the way that is is – just as Swiss Army knife as Doncic is, I, I think there's got to be a way to where he's on the floor without Smith Jr. And then, and I, I feel like that's definitely possible. Mm-hmm. I think I think he can play with that second unit. I don't know if he has much because I don't. I haven't seen much chemistry with like him and Powell and him and, and Kleber. He and Powell, I think, have are fine. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think they play fast, and when they play, like I think that. I would like to see more of that. Yeah, honestly, and I don't know. Maybe that they were just getting absolutely nuked mm-hmm. on the other end, but that's kind of happening now. Yeah, I mean, what are you trading? Yeah, what are you losing? Like, what's the trade off? I would like to try it and at yeah. least see. Yeah, I, what I don't like is having five bench players on the floor for that amount of time together. Whenever I don't really think that 
I don't think Brunson Brunson's a bad player right now. I mean, that's obvious. Most rookies are, even first rounders. So uh having Brunson and Berea be the only two guys on the floor who have any quickness. I mean, I guess Finney Smith has quickness. That's unfair, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, so I, the problem with that is you would be breaking up uh, the the big two of mm-hmm. Maxie and Dwight yeah. a little more, and they've been absolutely incredible. I mean, so I think I don't know what else you can say about them. I think Maxie can fit in almost anywhere right now. I've seen him do so many things, like. That guy's And I thought they were both going to be pretty good, man. I don't know that, you know. I mean, I thought Maxie was going to take a step. I didn't think – I thought we were going to look back like halfway through the season and go, hey, look at Maxie. But again, remember, his his three-point numbers at the end of last year were really good. Yeah. You know, if you just took like the end of the season. And so, mm-hmm. is that surprising that he's hitting at a decent clip? Yeah. But, I mean, he's protecting the rim, which I was like, what? What's happening right now? Dude, he's big. He's huge and he's, he's like honestly, quick. he's clearly caught a cut a bunch of body fat this yeah. offseason and he's springy as hell. He's just a big SOB that can shoot and play hard, it's dude. It's fun. He's a fun player. He really is. He's super fun to watch. Powell's the same way. Powell's shot isn't falling right now. Uh, and he's had some bad misses, but Powell's the same way and once his shot starts hitting up, I'll, I'll be Pleased. What if I tried to sell you on this? Okay. What if I tried to on sell you the athletic? I already bought it. Uh, so at theathletic.com <laughs> slash the four pointer, just four pointer, just four pointer. Theathletic.com slash four pointer. Let me sell you on that. I'll sell you on this. What if uh, when Dirk is ready, if he is, or what if even if he's not, I played Jordan, Maxi, Barnes, Luca, and Smith Jr. as my starters. That's big. It's big and it can shoot. Yeah. I've already upgraded your dude, Kleba, even at like mid volume, is as good of a shooter at this point as Wes Matthews is, which is fine. I I, I wonder and what now, Maxi twenty plus minutes is like though. He doesn't even necessarily have to exceed his minutes total just all start, that much. It's more just who he's Keith, playing with. Get the Keith Bogan start. It's more who you know, it doesn't have to be twelve minutes. It's not uh it doesn't have to be Clippers fifth man style. Yeah. But I still think that he has skills to start. Yeah, I think so too. And, and it, again, I don't want to overexpose the guy. But unicorn aptitude. I, st- I still have Powell as a good bench big. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that point, I would have Wes maybe not quite as overexposed and maybe not dribbling quite as much because he's playing with Berea, who dribbles more than Smith <laughs> Jr. or Doncic. You ever could think do. of, yeah. So I and I then Dirk's Dirk's your shooter. Exactly. I I don't think that's a terrible idea. No, I don't hate that. Because he I can really go. Don't. I mean, now my both my four and my five can are pretty athletic. That's they're gonna roll that lineup out um, here in I don't know maybe a month, and it's gonna cook, and that's gonna be the lineup that's gonna be freaking incredible, in the in the few minutes that it gets. Yeah, the question is then becomes who does Luca guard? Because you know right now you can kind of have Wes quote unquote guard, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know a two ish type player. I don't so, think his issues have been guarding people one on one. I think they've been screens. He literally loses his guy. He does lose his guy a lot. Either coming down in transition, he just forgets what duty he has and just runs to one of the wrong side of the court. I think that's a big part of the reason that their numbers are what they are. Yeah, transition defense. But, but it's just he got ISOed on Kawhi the other night, and I was like, "What are you doing? You're standing in front of him. How is this possible?" Yeah, he's done it a couple times. Where I'm like, he did not get embarrassed. That's true. 
So maybe you you would not have too many issues there because and also that's probably a slightly slightly more switchable lineup mm, than the one they start now. Just because I I just I'm so I'm very low on West man, and uh, they need more from him. I mean, not more scoring. They need more efficient <laughs> play from him. There's no doubt about it. And then I would do that, and then I would have Finney Smith replace Matthews lineup uh, spot on the bench. And then I would have- <laughs> One final, like, just little, like, nugget for me on the defense. This is actually, to me, this is pretty interesting. Uh, obviously, they're giving up meteoric numbers from every single area on three. <laughs> but, interestingly enough, they are giving up the, as far as just frequency goes, they are giving up the uh, second most corner threes in the league. Yeah. On non-corner threes, they're actually giving up the third fewest. Weird. Very strange to see a split that dramatic. Like, for example, Brooklyn is two and one on both, you know, two on corner, one on non. Yeah. Um, some of the other teams actually have uh, strange splits like this, like Memphis and Toronto, but it's pretty uncommon. But I wonder if that actually portends poorly for the threes improving because corner threes are pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. I need to watch those possessions that yeah. end in them giving up corner threes and see if it was just somebody left a shooter. And- yeah. I need to know, like, why why each one's happening or if we just aren't a laterally quick enough team to close out over there or if that's the shot we're trying to give up in this sequence or if just bad shooters are knocking these down. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to look into that. That's that's my homework assignment. Let's figure out what the hell's going on with corner threes and uh, the athletic.com slash four-pointer, you know, as well. Be interested um, to see this Spurs game tonight, and I don't I don't know how much time you want to spend on it because everyone will have already seen the game whenever they hear this. But the Spurs <laughs> are probably the strangest team in the league to me. Pretty weird, pretty weird. Um, yeah, I was trying to look up some of their numbers and see what's going on. I mean, I know their defense has been trash, and they're like a negative five net rating. Uh, I think one eighteen defensive, one thirteen offenses. And I wanted to get into some of this earlier, but obviously we have one episode a week, and it's we're not trying to keep you up here for two hours. Um, Things like offensive rating, I feel like after about 10 games, you can start to get a feel for it. Percentages, I feel like it takes about 20 games, like three-point percentage. Um, and it, that's with your team or allowed, uh, about 20 games on that. But, yeah, the Spurs are not having a great go of it. I mean, it's three and two, but this is not a Spurs team. This does not look Spursy outside of the amount of mid-range shots they're taking. Um, allowing 42% from three on 31 looks on road games for whatever reason, they're allowing 36 threes at a, uh, a 41% clip. So I don't know what the deal is there, but it's early season, early season and they might've played somebody, you know, really, really good on the road. But uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on, on this Spurs team? Uh, they, they're Spursy in that they're still very slow. And as you said, now we're saying um, that if you take a lot of mid range shots that you're Spursy, Mm-hmm. But that's a fairly recent <laughs> development. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're running away with that uh, distinction. Whereas, you know, the Mavericks have fallen back into the bottom five or six teams in the league on the shots that they take. I I mean, look, dude, I feel really bad for them because I would have liked to see what it looked like if they had Murray and, yeah. and, uh, and even Derek White, who mm-hmm. I think they were pretty high on. And so now, you know, that lineup is is – it involves Bryn Forbes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Which, you know. Why not? Uh, I like Pirtle. Yeah. I always thought he was, a you know. Pirtle can play a little bit. 
But I mean, dude, they're starting him, and he plays like he doesn't play that much. So if we're talking about like looking at what Maxi would be as a starter, I mean, they'll start Hurdle and play him for like 13 minutes in the whole game, mm-hmm. and certainly Maxi can play more than that. So, uh, it's I would be very surprised if the Mavericks don't end up with 15 to 20 points on the break tonight. That's my prediction because the Spurs are slew-footed. Does that mean slow? Slew-footed? I don't I've always know. Never, I've never really understood why you need to change slew, simply just yeah, one. Yeah, just one letter. And yeah. It means some kind of twang. I was, I'll I'm led to believe. slow a foot. So, okay, you're going to mix the two now. Yeah. You're just going to extrapolate it out and lay one part over here and then one over there and act like you're not saying the same thing. I see you. And it, it's it's still a back-to-back. Even though it's a short one and mm-hmm. it's not far, you yeah. are still playing back-to-back and – so I don't know. I mean, I think I did, I did play the game last night of tell me which teams on the on the back to back when Utah came in here and just put the pedal down in the third quarter and just was rallying everywhere and Rudy Gobert is eliminating like four players at a time. And I'm like, God, he looked good last night. Like son of a bee. Like was, we did not play last night. He was John with DeAndre too, and I yeah. enjoy that. Yeah. Um. So DeRozan will probably go for 35 tonight. <laughs> yeah, he'll get in the lane on you. That's uh. He's your he's your thirty plus guy tonight. Um, which against bad teams, against teams that are in the bottom twelve of the league, I'm like, let somebody go for thirty. I don't give a crap. Yeah. Like, what do I care if Zach Levine scores thirty? Um, but a couple other Spurs numbers. Uh, yeah, pace is down at ninety eight two five. I mean, which is absurd. It's, it's sickening. Extremely boring. They're just fighting. They're just yelling at the sky. <laughs> Stop this. Mavs are at, uh, I think they're at 103 now. Um, so they play slow. They play through the mid-range, and you might think, okay, well, mid-range basketball is not how you win anymore. But what the Spurs have realized, and this is something we talked about maybe during the offseason, was you don't turn the basketball over when you play through the mid-range. And that's what the Spurs care about. They don't give up. Points the other way in transition. They only turn it over, uh, I think, 10% of the time. Um, their, assist to, their assist to turnover percentage is way better than the Mavericks right now, almost a, <laughs> almost 0.5 better. Uh, they're at 225, and we're at 178. And a lot of that's just silly Luka lobs and making passes where people aren't there yet that make our numbers bad. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting because – I don't think much of this Spurs team. No, especially not with the injuries. It's interesting stylistically, but it's still a a road game on a back-to-back in San Antonio. Yeah, that's always tough. And the Mavericks, I could explain away every one of their losses for you. Oh, yeah. First game, uh, blew a huge lead. Well, Booker went And then two losses against teams uh, that are probably in the top five to eight in the NBA right now. Yeah. And you were in both of them. Mm Mm-hmm. Sort of. Yeah, no, you were in them. (laughs) So... I don't I if you had just given me San Antonio's roster at the start of the year, I might have said this is a loss, but now I'm kind of looking at it like especially after you've dropped three in a row and think you need to go get this one. Yeah. Yeah. This and, would be this would be a good one to kind of balance out to make up to uh pay some pay some down payments after what you did in Atlanta. Yeah, and I mean their two wins are over the on. Lakers, one of which was in two overtimes. Or two of their three, and one of them was uh, DeRozan had to lead like a huge comeback. Yeah, uh, Saturday night, which I only saw highlights of that, so it's not like I watched that game. But um, 
you know, the Lakers are a mess themselves, so it isn't like they've beaten anybody good. No, they haven't. They don't have like an impressive victory. And I mean, the most interesting thing to me is obviously uh, how the benches are going to just try and bludgeon each other to death because they have a plan for ours. I guarantee you, it's like, are we going to have a plan for theirs? Um, Got to go run on them. Going to see, going to see a lot of Patty Mills too. <laughs> just get ready for a lot of Patty Mills threes right in your face that are going to. Get you real upset real quick. Bryn Forbes can shoot too. Yeah, I don't, I'm not familiar with the Bryn Forbes CD Now collection. I didn't order his stuff on through CD Warehouse. But uh, yeah, Spurs, Mavs, 7.30 tonight on Fox of the Southwest. How do and, I read uh, uh, Tim Cato's review for a uh, post-game article? Well, I'm glad you asked. You read it through the future of sports journalism, Jake, The Athletic. The Athletic dot com slash four pointer the athletic dot com slash four pointer the athletic dot com slash four pointer it's worth more money this purchase than anything you could possibly do on the internet with your money especially anything especially like for your kids or anything you don't need them they're not your future okay Uh, sort of are Mm. but for now we'll say just Give the athletic your money and then worry about them later. Yeah, they, you've got 18 years until they realize all the bad crap you've done financially to screw up the rest of their lives. So, Getting this subscription is not one of those things, though. If you're going to buy food for your kid or spend your two ninety nine a month on the athletic, I would pick theathletic.com slash four-pointer. Yeah. So you do you. You're listening to my podcast. I'm not listening to yours. We'll see you next week. Yeah. <laughs>